0: This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. If you want more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today, we're talking with researcher and engineer Jonathan Norris about the decline of the coal industry in central Appalachia. His research interests include energy policy, innovation systems, and the transition of communities that have been historically dependent on resource extraction instead towards sustainable and economically diverse futures. He also explains why experts predict that President Trump's promise to bring coal mining jobs back to the region will probably be unfulfilled. We need some baseline explanation. Coal jobs have been up and down Mm -hmm. in Appalachia for years, decades back to last century, early part of last century. Why
1: is that? There's a concept called a boom and bust cycle that typically accompanies natural resource extraction. And it's not just coal. It's coal, it's oil, it's gas, wood, steel. Anything that you take out of the ground is typically traded. Uh, And either because of changes in pricing uh, or changing in... Uh, technology. Um, The production rates and the employment of coal or oil or gas uh, tends to follow these boom and bust cycles. So typically there's a boom where uh, local economies do really well and then there's a bust. And we've seen this in things like the oil shocks of the 1970s and the 80s, the OPEC oil embargo. So that's a pretty high profile example. In central Appalachia, Coal mining employment has been on the decline since 1980, uh, the 1980s, and that's because of mechanization. So we've started to use machines rather than human labor to mine coal. So that's kind of a baseline. All right. So if,
0: if that's the case, you have different resources, I take it, competing against one another in this boom and bust cycle, meaning when something's up, Something else might be down. For example, we went through a period uh, where natural gas uh, was really up and uh, hydraulic extraction and fracking really was all you read about. As it became more popular with energy producers, not popular generally, but popular with energy producers, the need for coal went down, correct?
1: Correct. That's right. Uh, So natural gas uh, and coal, both are used as fuels to create electricity. So natural gas and coal are sent to power plants where they're burned and that heat is generated. It generates electricity that we use in our homes and our businesses day in and day out. And in about 2012, um, natural gas started to take off from shale reserves. So these were reserves that uh, we weren't really able to reach commercially uh, before hydraulic fracturing came to the scene. And hydraulic fracturing made it possible for oil and gas dr- drillers to drill deeper than ever before. And so coal has been on the decline since 2007, largely because it's been outcompeted competed by natural gas. Because both of those fuel sources uh, supply and create electricity, natural gas is cheap, it's abundant. Uh, and it burns 60 percent less carbon into the air per unit of heat. Um, so those three factors have have caused kind of a bust in coal production. So we had the
0: explosion of of natural gas drilling, but not just in Central Appalachia. This is a national phenomenon out in the Midwest, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, further north. A national boom in Natural gas had a direct relationship with coal production in Appalachia.
1: Correct? Uh, in Appalachia, not not entirely correct. So okay, so correct. So, where where am I wrong? So coal has been outcompeted by natural gas because they both have the same output. They both create electricity, uh, for the reasons that I mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Now, coal in Appalachia. Uh, has been on the decline for quite some time, even before natural gas from hydraulic fracturing from shale gas has come onto the scene. And the reason for that is because coal mining has moved mostly to Wyoming. So we get most of our coal to create electricity in the United States from Wyoming. Why? Uh, Well, it's just more economical. So you get more bang for your buck from Wyoming rather than, than in Appalachia. And So that is one of the reasons why we've seen a decline in coal mining in Appalachia. Uh, The competition from natural gas has exacerbated that in recent years.
0: All right. So let's factor in the politics here. Uh, When President Obama was president, you couldn't travel any place in eastern Kentucky or Kentucky period or West Virginia without seeing large billboards that President Obama hates coal, hates coal miners and is taking away our jobs. Uh, In the 2016 presidential election, uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton was painted with that same brush that she was anti-coal and anti-coal industry and coal miners. Where did that come from, that that animosity? are there specific regulations or
1: policies? Sure. So in the Obama administration, we saw more of a focus on on climate change and uh, combating carbon emissions. Um, and, and coal-fired power plants is certainly one of the big contributors to carbon emissions uh, in the United States. The animosity uh, to those policies – I think, came largely toward environmental regulations that were placed on coal mining. Um, one example is during President Obama's term, uh, he put a moratorium on mining on public lands. Uh, now, recently, President Trump has lifted that moratorium um, and has sought to uh, ease environmental regulations as to, uh, to make coal mining more economically competitive, um, but because of the fact that natural gas is outcompeting coal production uh, for electricity generation and because mechanization has since the 80s caused a long term decline in employment in coal mining, President Trump's recent uh, efforts to ease environmental regulations aren't likely to, to mean a, a significant comeback of the coal industry. Uh, and that's because natural gas remains cheap and abundant and those changes won't change that.
0: But the rhetoric of the campaign, we heard uh, then-candidate Trump uh, use that as a major lever against Secretary Clinton here in, in the Midwest and in Appalachia. Uh, when he took office, he's had this executive order, which many argue is fairly meaningless. Uh, to actually producing jobs, but yet you had major buy-in from the populace to the rhetoric. How do you account for
1: that? Sure. So, you know, I'm from southern Ohio. um, And I think if you drive through southeastern Ohio, or if you drive through eastern Kentucky or western West Virginia, where uh, a lot of these communities, these coal mining communities exist and have existed for, gosh, uh, about a century, it's a very family oriented and generational type of work. Uh, there are families that have coal miners in their families that go back generations. Uh, and coal mining really built up the region. It's been an economic staple for a very long time. And the transition that the region is going under um, n- is is causing, I think, uh, some strife, um, you know, because coal is being outcompeted by natural gas, because we see this decline in production, and because we've seen a lack of employment um, since the 1980s, the coal mining industry has been on a long-term decline. Uh, And the central Appalachian region is also, um, it it lacks economic diversity. So whenever we see these boom and bust cycles in places where there aren't many other options for employment, uh, those boom and bust cycles hit those places harder. Uh, And I think that that is the basis for um, the fuel and why the rhetoric from uh, President Trump's presidential campaign resonated with the region. It's because coal mining has been a staple. Uh, It it powered us through the Industrial Revolution and it provided really uh, well-paying jobs for workers just out of high school. Um, And now that this transition is taking place, the region – is uh, in a in a place where it needs to transition economically and focus on diversification.
0: There, there was no need for uh, higher education. There was n- no need even for special training, except for on the job training. Right? People went directly to the mines.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, in its in the height of, of coal mining in the region, you could you could graduate high school, and if you were an able bodied person, um, you could work in the mines and and earn a family-supporting wage. But now that the decline of this industry has has come, um, there's been a, a historic lack of investment and a lack of development in other sectors. And so uh, short of working in the mines, there aren't many other options in some of these communities uh, in terms of employment and, and the ability to stay in the region. How significant is the percentage
0: of coal miners in this region to to
1: the national outlook. Yeah. So uh, while coal mining represents a very small percentage of employment uh, in the United States, um, totally in Central Appalachia it represents a much higher share of employment. Um, so the from the Energy Information Administration uh, in 2015, coal mining employment in Central Appalachia was about 30 percent of U.S. coal mining employment. Uh, in all of Appalachia, which stretches from New York to Mississippi, uh, it was about 57%. In 2014, it was even higher than that at 32% and 60%. Um, and pair that with the dependence on the industry in some of the mining communities in that region. Um, dependence in,
0: being that's the only industry
1: almost in, in yes. certain areas. Absolutely. So in, in Boone County, West Virginia, for example, the BEA, Uh, estimated that in Boone County, West Virginia, over 1969 to 2009, uh, mining jobs averaged about 51% of total jobs in that county over that time span. So there is a a significant dependence in some of these communities and a lack of diversification, uh, which means that, you know, without coal mining jobs and other employment opportunities, uh, the region struggles economically.
0: Well, you talked about this boom and bust and let me just be devil's advocate for, for a moment. You know, this isn't the first time. We've, we've had boom and bust cycles uh, <laughs> since coal mining, mining came to the region. Uh, what's different about this one? I mean why isn't this the same and how do you address the argument of why didn't these communities diversify their economic base a long time ago?
1: Yeah. So, you know, boom and bust cycles have existed for a long time and they're resource agnostic. So w- what's that mean? So it, it means that anytime you take anything out of the ground, whether it's coal or oil or if it's timber, timber or steel, uh, it, there's always a boom and bust cycle that accompanies it. Um you saw an example of this in places like Pittsburgh, uh, in Youngstown, in the steel mining industry. Steubenville. Yeah, right? in the Rust Belt. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a, a better known example of boom and bust cycles. One of the reasons why Appalachia is unique is because this boom and bust cycle and the current uh, decline of the coal industry is paired with a series of other trends that have been consistent in the region. Like what? Appalachia lacks economic diversity. Um, It has lower educational attainment than the U.S. average. It has higher income inequality uh, than the U.S. average, higher unemployment rates, and higher poverty rates. And that's that's in central Appalachia. If you look at a map and you look at the statistics from the Appalachian Regional Commission, places in the northern part towards New York and places in the southern part closer to Mississippi are doing better than places like eastern Kentucky and West Virginia.
0: West Virginia, Southern Ohio, it's, it's the coal
1: fields. Yeah, the, absolutely. The,
0: the, where, where it's concentrated. That's right. Historically, there are these boom and bust cycles, but it seems like a, a population with lower educational attainment, a basic lower economic standard of living, and the remoteness of the coal fields. Really haven't attracted other industry to a workforce that is a skilled workforce other than for mining or or extractive industries. H- has that sort of not caused the boomer bust, but exacerbated the the boomer bust?
1: Yeah, uh, it certainly has. So uh, Appalachia is uh, relatively. Uh, has has been historically relatively more isolated than other parts of the United States. Um, so as, as we as we've seen this bust, the decline of the coal industry, um, the isolation, the the fact that Appalachia is a rural place, uh, and the the fact that there hasn't been a lot of investment historically into the development of more modern transferable skills, uh, and the fact that we've seen uh, primarily growth in urban centers. Uh, which investment has followed, uh, has exacerbated uh, the bust or the decline of uh, the coal economy. I
0: mean you cannot drive across Appalachia, whether it's southern Ohio, West Virginia, coal fields, eastern Kentucky, without going through communities that are just decimated. Uh, They're they're either – you can see sometimes the structures are there from days gone by, but they're almost like
1: ghost towns. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, and and that uh, contributes itself to um, a pervasive sense of sort of fatalism in the region. You know, for longtime residents of the region, um, they've seen a lack of investment and a lack of development in the region. Um, and so they aren't quite confident that um, that investment is going to come. So... Uh, People with that kind of fatalism, though,
0: have to, it would seem to me, grab hold of any promise that's out there. So what I'm hearing is that President Trump's promise to take away some of the regulations and and allow more carbon to be burned for power plants, uh, that's a promise that's there that people. Grab onto, but what you're saying is that's not economic reality.
1: That's true. Uh, So you're right in saying that you know because of of this this historic sense of of fatalism and and the lack of investment from outside actors, um, people that live in the region and have for a long time are looking for. any straps that they can pull themselves up by um, any, any, any source of, of opportunity. Um, And while it's, it's a very nice sentiment and I can understand why the current administration wants to invest in these workers and, and give them the opportunities to go back to work because of the trends in uh, natural gas competition. uh, It's unlikely that the industry is going to see some resurgence. So, Instead, uh, the research that I'm focused on uh, is identifying foundations for economic transition, uh, for economic diversification, and the building of skill sets that are more suited um, for modern uh, economies. We'll be back
0: after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change, they're hungry for it. The Scripps College was awarded $878,000 by the Ohio University Innovation Strategy Program for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's game research and immersive design lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of gear, processes, intellectual property, award-winning scholars, and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. let's stay on politics a moment. If, if these promises of jobs and a resurgence of the coal industry – and that's how it's been framed. I mean the coal jobs will come back is basically the rhetoric that, that we've been hearing and they don't. What then do those people do? I mean, do they do they turn on a, a President Trump? Do they just uh, turn into fatalism and say, "Well, he tried, and and good for him"? Uh, how do they respond to that?
1: Right. So it, it, that it kind of paints the the opportunity for a, a pretty grim picture, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, but the the bright side of this is that we've seen a lot of local initiatives come up. Um, so, you know, some examples of, uh, asset-based development in the region. And what I mean by asset-based development is, um, let's take a look at what we have in our community, in our county, in our own local sphere, and how can we use that, um, to build our own futures. Um, so some examples of, uh more local efforts have been the LIGHTS program, which listeners uh, may hear about later. Um, the Appalachian Transition Fellowship has started in Tennessee, which is an effort to retain youth and um, attract people to research and work on this economic transition. We've seen the buildout of a renewable energy, the solar industry, in uh, places like Athens, Ohio. So I think that, you know, if if these promises of a resurgence of the coal industry don't come to fruition, um, the region has opportunities to use its its own resources um, and and create its own economic transition.
0: But what do you say to the forty five year old coal miner who's been in the mine for twenty years or was in the mine for twenty years you know that that has no formal education beyond uh, high school. Uh, by family, by tradition, by sheer economic uh, restrictions, limited to, geographically to uh, hometown or, or region, they're not going to get up and move. Uh, what promise do you have for that person?
1: Right. Uh, there was a, uh, an initiative that was put in place in the Obama era. It was called the, the Power Initiative. Um, and it was a, a, f- a federal policy that was administered by the EDA and the Appalachian Regional Commission. And the aim for that was to address that very question. So for dislocated co-workers in the region, how can we invest in them and provide opportunities for skill building, for uh, opportunities for employment in the region where they live, um, and that initiative has been a start, at least federally, to addressing that question. Um, but you know what you're alluding to is absolutely right. That you know, without a um, a diverse local economy, without opportunities for employment and skill sets to fill those uh, those jobs, uh, it, it may not. Uh, the the status quo may continue.
0: Is the help that people look for only from the federal government, or do states get involved?
1: So the, the most prominent policy that has been put in place is that power initiative, and it has come from the federal government. Um, but states absolutely get involved. You know, we have the benefit of living in this federalist society in the United States, where we have little laboratories of, of democracy, where we can experiment. Um, and they're have been efforts uh, locally, maybe not necessarily at the state level, but in at the community level, to diversify economies and to provide opportunities for jobs and skill building uh, and retraining efforts. Uh, and those have been championed by uh, organizations like Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, the Mountain Association for Community Economic Development, um, the Innovation Center at Ohio University. So while we haven't seen a whole lot of action at the state level, there has been action at the community level.
0: So you have been born and reared in this region. You are doing research on this topic. Are you optimistic, pessimistic?
1: How would you put yourself on the scale? You've lived it. You've seen it. That's right. Yeah. I was born in Ironton, Ohio, uh in Ironton Ohio my mother used to tell me that it was a boom town and when I was young I never knew what that meant uh, until I started you know getting older and started to research this but while Ironton wasn't uh, a coal mining town it was it was an iron town and it busted decades before I was born um, so I have experienced kind of the economic struggles that a lot of individuals and community members in Southern Ohio Eastern Kentucky and, and West Virginia have faced but I've also started to, seen, to see more uh, attention to these issues, federally and locally. Um, there are people that are talking about it more often. There's research being done. Uh, there are organizations that are dedicating themselves to uh, what the region calls a just transition. And so while I understand that transitions take time, uh, I'm, I am optimistic that over time, there will continue to be uh, individuals uh, that are dedicated to kind of the, the, the transformation of economies in central Appalachia uh, because I've, I've, I, every year I continue to see more people get involved.
0: I want to make sure that our listeners understand that it's not just coal miners being out of work. There, there are multiple level problems tied in with this. When you have people out of work, uh, you have higher degrees of alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, the opioid uh, addiction uh, scourge has just ravished uh, this region of, of central Appalachia. Uh, health insurance being up in the air as to what will come out of whether there'll be a repeal of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act or what will come in its place. In in an environment where you have a lot of miners suffering from black lung and other mine-related
1: injuries
0: and and health concerns, all these things are intertwined, are they not?
1: They absolutely are. You know, it's not just, as you said, the dislocated coal miner. Well, we we certainly need to be paying attention to dislocated coal miners and and the fact that coal mining has been a staple in the region, uh, kind of a bedrock of employment and economic activity. But, you know, with the decline of uh, that bedrock, foundational um, staple, economic staple in the region, we have seen um, skyrocketing opioid addiction rates. Um, 've we've, we've seen uh, infrastructure that has been aging and crumbling in some places. Um, and without, without um, you know the, the tax base that comes from a strong economy, without uh, families that have wages that are family supporting and can contribute to local economies, uh, it's that much harder to invest, in the the social and environmental aspects, and the public health aspects uh, that are required to sustain um, a thriving uh, um, community, it seems like also
0: mixed messages. Uh, you know, President signed his executive order and had a lot of miners there behind him in Washington, saying, "I'm going to give your coal jobs back to you," but at the same time, some of these support. Groups that you're talking about, such as the Appalachian Regional Commission, was zeroed out in in President Trump's proposed budget. That seems to be oxymoronic. There,
1: yeah. The the Appalachian Regional Commission um, is one of, if not the biggest, um, the the biggest. Um, supporter of Appalachian uh, investment. It it was founded as a way to build infrastructure and kind of ease the isolation that central Appalachian communities had. And it continues to support development. It continues to support uh, this sort of transition work in the region. It has done so for a long time. And um, (laughs) the, the proposed budget that came out of the Trump administration did um, decrease, zero out its funding um, in support of things like defense uh, and um, other economic progress measures and investments. Uh, so, without that funding to this organization, uh, and without you know attention to these issues, there certainly are mixed messages. So, while um, the the Trump administration has said we want to put coal miners back to work, you know, without. Uh, investing in the foundational elements that support, uh, you know, a strong economy in the region, uh, that's not going to be possible. Um, and it's not going to be possible to diversify the economy, which is greatly needed in the region.
0: To wrap up, let, let me ask you about your personal involvement. You say that you were born and reared in the Ironton area and a uh, product of, of Southern Ohio. What got you interested in this kind of research? A a lot of people who are born and reared in this particular region want to get the hell out (laughs) and
1: and certainly not look at the problems. That's uh, a really good question. So I grew up in Ironton, Ohio. I I went to Ironton High School. I played football for Bob Lutz, who people in southeastern Ohio may know. so I, I am, you know, an Irontonian, uh, and I, I I lived there for a long part of my life. When I was looking at uh, universities in high school, um, I, I did pretty well in school. And so I, I got into all the universities that I applied to, and uh, I actually did want to get out. Um, I, I was raised in a family that didn't have a lot of opportunity. I was raised by a single mother. Uh, I was one of five children. And so growing up in that struggle— <laughs> made me at first want to leave and find opportunity elsewhere. So I actually started university at Pennsylvania State. But uh, our family did not have any money, so I couldn't afford to stay, and I transferred to Ohio, Ohio University, and I came back to the region. I, I studied engineering in undergrad, uh, and I after I completed my bachelor's degree, I moved to Cincinnati, uh, and I started doing that work. And while it-, it paid well, it provided a good wage, it supported me, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And at the same time, I was I was volunteering with an organization in Cincinnati called Green Umbrella. So Green Umbrella was a sustainability alliance. Uh, and one of the things that I did there was volunteer on their energy policy committee. And that's really, that was my first exposure uh, to these issues, to things like coal mining, to things like renewable energy. And I absolutely loved it. But the problem was, I wasn't I wasn't getting paid, <laughs> <laughs> right? I was getting paid to, to do the work that I didn't the, particularly right. enjoy. Um, I remember being with a friend, and I was I was watching a documentary on coal mining and mountaintop removal, uh, which is for listeners that may not know where they they level the top of a mountain to just, get to the coal just seam. Just take it off underneath. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which provides uh, significant environmental damage for communities that right. happen to be by those mountains. Um, and I started to really reflect on the my history and my experiences growing up um, in a, a relatively poor family in southeastern Ohio, um, and I wondered, you know, how did I make it out? How did I do so well? And and um, if I did well, how can other people do well? And so that that inspired me to apply to grad school. I wanted to study sustainability, which is which is what I'm doing now. Um, And that brought me to Ohio University. So the the combination of my experiences growing up in a situation which I think a lot of people in the region can relate to, um, combined with my experiences volunteering on energy policy in Cincinnati and and living in the region um, and doing research on these issues, I think has prepared me to have a, a valuable perspective on the issues. What's the end goal for your research?
0: I know sometimes research is ongoing forever and ever, and, and we grasp kernels of knowledge as we go on, but, but yours seems to be pretty omni-directed.
1: Yeah. So my research focuses on identifying the sort of the foundational elements that may support economic transition in central Appalachia. Uh, so things like how can we diversify local economies? How can we um, build skill sets for people that live in the region so that um, if uh, you know coal mining experiences one of those busts an economic downturn, they have skills that they can take to other local sectors? Uh, and how do we make the in the the region more resilient and sustainable long term? Now that is a big big task, um, and I. I think that my my research and my work in this area will certainly continue um, for the rest of my life. Um, I am optimistic that we will continue to make positive uh, steps uh, toward that goal while I'm alive and doing this work. Uh, but in engineering, I study this concept of continuous improvement. Um, and so you know, there's always something that can be done better. There's always a way that uh, communities can make themselves more resilient to these shocks. So that's the goal. Jonathan, thank you so
0: much. Really appreciate it. And good luck. Yeah,
1: thank you. I appreciate the time.
0: Today, we've been talking with researcher and engineer Jonathan Norris about the reality that coal mining jobs will not return to Appalachia. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, Please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H O D S O N, at ohio.edu.